Hi guys, welcome to a bit of a bonus episode of the Irish Balance podcast. If you are new to my podcast, my name is Kira Kelly. I'm an Irish girl and a qualified medical doctor, and my passion is preventive medicine, public health and health promotion. I qualified as a doctor in Ireland over three years ago now and spent three years working in hospital medicine before deciding to pursue public health and preventative medicine. I'm particularly interested in how our lifestyles affect our health through the food we eat, physical activity, stress management, our sleep quality and our social well-being. And I use my blog, which is theirishbalance.com, my social media at The Irish Balance on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, and now my podcast to show you guys how we can empower ourselves to live happy, healthy lifestyles that are full of balance, not restriction. If you have been keeping up with the podcast series, I really do hope you've been enjoying it, as well as the content I share on my blog and social media platforms as well. As always, it's a pleasure to chat to you guys today, and I am always excited about the topic I bring you, but today I am particularly passionate about sharing the content in this week's episode. So I began a full-time one-year master's in public health and nutrition in September 2018. I applied for this master's after finishing my three years of hospital training and it came at a time when I was at the point of deciding what I wanted to specialise in. So to me, I had figured out by this stage that I thought really it was going to be public health and prevention. And so a master's was the next step for me. So yep, as if five years of medical school wasn't enough, I decided sure I may as well go back to school for a year. But jokes aside, I am just about halfway through my master's now and I'm absolutely loving it. I've had a lot of interest from those of you who follow me in social media um, and from those of you who are also in the health sphere, asking questions about the masters, about the content and a very highly requested article and podcast topic was on the content of my masters, what I'm learning and how I got there. So in line with sharing it on my blog in it, as an article, I decided to put it into audio format for you guys as well, for those of you that want to listen to it rather than read it and to kind of chat my way through it, I guess. So this podcast is inspired by a blog article I wrote recently called My Masters in Public Health and Nutrition Lessons Learned from Semester One. And it's been one I've been really excited to talk about and write for quite a while. So after having Christmas exams in December and giving my brain a little bit of a chill out time, I'm back into semester two and with lectures kicking off in about a week, we're getting into the nitty gritty of planning our thesis which I'm very excited to say uh, mine is going to be on shift work and health. And I'll talk to you guys more about that on the podcast and on my blog as I educate myself on it. I'm currently knee deep in articles, so I'll get back to you. Okay, so let's start with a bit of a definition of public health because once I started to say that was what I was interested in, everyone seems to broadly understand preventative medicine and there's been a lot of talk about lifestyle medicine as well in social media and in uh, the general media referring to aspects of how we live our lives that can really affect our health, as I described in the introduction to this podcast. So our nutrition, um, our exercise, our sleep, stress management, and our social well-being as well. They're just some key aspects of lifestyle medicine. Public health takes a broader perspective and really is concerned with helping individuals, but through addressing population health. A definition I really like is quite old, but it's probably my favourite, and it's that it is the science and art of preventing disease, prolonging life and promoting health through the organised efforts of society. 
So as a doctor in Ireland, in order to pursue this, you do further training similarly to how you would if you wanted to be a cardiologist or do gastroenterology or surgery in order to become ideally a public health consultant and specialist. So I took a leap of faith to read my master's and see if I enjoyed the dive into the area and so far so good. I'm in the beautiful campus of UCD, which is very much a health promoting campus and have um, a healthy UCD initiative, the website of which I've been writing for. So there's lots going on and I'm really enjoying being a student again, I have to say, even if it did feel a little bit weird to start with getting a school bag and a laptop bag and all that. But as many of you will know, I am a big nerd and I love learning and I'm particularly passionate about this area. So being able to really get into it and have it inform the content I share with you guys and the content that I can learn to further my career is really, really cool. So what I'm going to do in this little bonus episode is reflect on semester one and try and break down what the vast amount of things I learned into three key things that I've taken from the first four months of my master's. In total, in semester one, we covered lots of different modules, and this included areas such as health psychology, and that's chiefly things like health risk perception, communication. One of my favorites was behavior change theory, including looking at social media and health. We've also covered um, infectious and non-infectious diseases. So communicable and non-communicable diseases is the proper term for those. The non-communicable diseases are the ones I'm particularly interested in. These are the diseases, like I said, that aren't infectious. So coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity, cancers, some respiratory diseases, because these are the ones that we can really get into the nitty gritty of the lifestyle aspects of and try to optimize to reduce their rising prevalence. We also covered areas like public health policy, which I also really enjoyed, and the dreaded biostatistics, and also epidemiology. Epidemiology, if you haven't heard of it, it's a core aspect of public health, and it's described um, more formally as the study of occurrence, distribution, and determinants of disease, and using this knowledge for health protection and promotion of populations. So really, it involves looking at what diseases occur, both infectious and non-infectious, where they occur, who is getting them, why they occur, and then using that information to help design prevention and intervention health strategies to apply at individual and population levels to address these various aspects of diseases that you're looking at. It's really fascinating and like I say it's a core principle and special not specialty, it's a core principle and aspect of public health practice. As I'm doing the nutrition side of things as well, I also got to study a really cool module called One Health, which is defined by the USA Center for Disease Control as a collaborative, multi-sectoral, transdisciplinary approach. So it involves working at local, regional, national and global levels. And the goal really is to achieve optimal health outcomes, looking at the interconnection of our health as humans, um, animals, plants and the environment. So it's kind of like a combination of human medicine, veterinary medicine and environmental science. And it's really cool. It's what got me interested in sustainable diets, which I talked about on the podcast previously. When semester two is coming up, I will be doing a whole new range of modules, including health promotion, health economics, nutritional epidemiology. Um, so don't worry, I'll reflect on all of that and pop it into another podcast episode too. But safe to say there is loads to come. And in particular, some of the semester two modules are ones I've been most excited to study in particular, health promotion, health economics, and nutritional epidemiology, for sure. Okay, so 
I'm going to try to summarize it into three big things that I've learned over the past semester. And of course, I have learned a lot more than three things, I hope. But I really want to give you guys a broad idea of the knowledge I've gained to illustrate to you what public health is, what it involves, broadly speaking, um, in my brief experience and why it's so important. And I also really want this post to provide you with, as always, some healthy living tips that are actionable that you can bring to your own lifestyle. And if you are keen to know more or you're keen to maybe apply for this course yourself or you're a doctor or another healthcare professional or totally unrelated and you think it's something you might be interested in or you're just keen to hear a little bit more about it, just pop a comment on the podcast or DM me on Instagram or pop me an email and I can um, let you know. Okay, so let's get into it. So key learning point number one is that health is not a one size fits all and it's more than the absence of illness. So you guys might have seen me say before on social media and on my blog that the World Health Organization defines health as a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmary. I've said this definition quite a lot because it really resonates with me and I was so happy to see it on a slide in one of my very first master's seminars. Being healthy is a unique achievement to everyone and we're not automatically healthy, in quotation marks, if we aren't suffering from a specific medical condition. Think about that WHO definition again, physical, mental, and social well-being. Now think of your own life. Could each of us currently say that we feel 100% A1 excellent for all three of those aspects of our well-being? For example, over 2018, my physical health, bar a nasty bout of food poisoning, and I'm sure a cold somewhere in there, was pretty decent, touching wood. But I did pick up two training injuries that were something I did have to take time to rehab. So that's an aspect of my physical health. Recently, when I had my Christmas exams, I definitely didn't have the best social health. Studying at home for a week, seeing kind of my family, saving catch-ups with friends for after exams. And during that stressful time, I tried to safeguard my mental health by keeping up daily exercise, doing some meditation every day. But all the same, exams are exams, and I've definitely had a happier head since finishing. But my point is this, health and illness don't exist in isolation. They exist on a spectrum. So, to develop that a little bit further, if your health is affected by a medical condition, then that illness needs to either be cured or, if not curable, managed appropriately with appropriate medical care and specialties. But even if you don't have a medical condition, it doesn't automatically make us healthy. And this is where lifestyle factors play a role for many diseases, particularly the non-communicable ones that I mentioned earlier. For example, lifestyle factors such as smoking, consuming alcohol to excess, either in volume or frequency, eating an unhealthy diet, living an inactive sedentary lifestyle, all of these things can damage our health in the short and long term. And therefore, addressing these factors and making changes moves us further along that spectrum from illness to health. Simply doing some things like quitting smoking, which I know is a lot easier said than done, but making the start, making the commitment to the behaviour change. Cutting down alcohol intake to under max weekly and daily limits. Making small dietary changes towards a more healthy diet, such as consuming a minimum of five fresh fruits and vegetables per day, swapping your um, white breads, pastas, rices for whole grain or brown versions, making sure you drink two liters of water a day, cooking more meals from scratch in your week. In terms of physical activity, maybe building exercise into your day in a way you enjoy. From a sleep point of view, ensuring you're getting a minimum of seven hours per night. Things like this really aren't radical changes to make to your life. And they can be made slowly, one at a time, over time, but they can have a massive impact. And a major realm of public health is 
the research into and promotion of these lifestyle factors in order for us to figure out how best we can encourage members of the population to be the healthiest versions of themselves possible without breaking the bank, advising unrealistic changes or resulting in people adopting short-term changes that aren't sustainable. It's definitely one of the areas of public health I am most interested in and fascinated by and really, really passionate about promoting. So that leads me nicely to number two, which is this. Sustained behaviour change is complicated and it takes time, commitment and regular celebration of small wins. How often have you said to yourself, I'll start tomorrow, I'll start on Monday, I'll start in January, when trying to make a change to your lifestyle? It might have been that you wanted to get out walking, hit the gym, eat a little bit better, maybe cook a couple of more recipes this week or get better sleep. It might have been to start a work project or a college assignment. But regardless, it was a change that you wanted to make, but we often put off or we start and we don't continue beyond a couple of days. Trust me, you're not alone there. And I say that from personal experience and from working with patients. They say it takes 66 days for a habit to really become a part of your life. And while that sounds like a long time, I really do think that it's realistic. We cannot expect overnight success and to do so is to set yourself up for failure. I know I'm being frank, but for good reason. If we try to adopt a new habit in our lifestyle, just because we miss one day in that first week does not mean that we'd failed. It means the next day is a new opportunity to get back on and try again. And over time, you do start to notice that you're missing less days and hitting more of them. Ultimately, you get to that sweet spot where it's like brushing your teeth. You just do it. It doesn't matter. It happens. And it's not a chore. It's something that you might actually enjoy. As I've said on my podcast recently, one of my favorite modules in my first semester was our health psychology module. And we learned about behavior change models, health promotion, health risk communication, and really interestingly, how to use media for behavior change in public health. I even got to write my assignment essay on stress in modern society, which was really, really fascinating to learn about and write about. What stood out to me the most was the behaviour change process, the different theories that exist around behaviour change and models. One of my favourites was called the COMBI model, and more on that another day. In short, for those interested, it's a model that looks at capability, opportunity and motivation and how that interplays with behaviours. But again, like I say, beyond the scope of this podcast, but what's fascinated me most about behavior change is how complex it is, how many factors affect it, i.e. our day-to-day decisions about how we live and in particular our health behaviors and the time it takes for success of behavior change. The many factors here include psychological, physical, emotional, family and work related, biological, environmental, and many, many more. For example, let's say one of your 2019 goals is to use the gym membership you've bought. You want to start tomorrow, Monday, for example. Okay, perfect. So let's say it's Monday and you're planning to go after work. Six o'clock, that's you, you're there. But then, boom, work is crazy busy and you finish work at six instead of at five. Of course, you've got a headache and you know you need to have time to cook after the gym as well. But still, you're trying to go. You're going to get there. So you get on the train, aiming to get to the gym. The train's delayed. It's raining. With each little change to your day, those best intentions and plans just seem to move beyond your reach of control. And by the time you get home, it's eight o'clock, motivation is out the door. So you say, okay, I'm going to go tomorrow. Sound familiar? I know, I hear you. I've been there too. And that's why behavior change isn't easy. It's hard because it takes commitment, planning and time every day. It takes encouragement and flexibility from within yourself and from those in your social network of family and friends to support you. 
and it takes celebration of every single win along your journey to your goal. It is worth it, but we do need to remember for ourselves and for those around us that many factors will affect those honourable intentions. Focusing on progress and not perfection is what's most important. I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing me say that at this stage, I should probably call this podcast the Progress Not Perfection podcast. But jokes aside, it really is something I firmly believe and something I apply to my own life. Okay, let's get on to number three. Number three is prevention is better than cure, saving the best for last. This is one of my favorite sayings, and it was before I knew I was interested in public health. In public health, there's three levels of prevention described. Primary prevention is the proactive approach, so before disease has occurred, and it's things like vaccination, so against measles, influenza, and education of the population on various aspects of health. So, for example, advising people that they shouldn't start smoking due to the major health harms that it causes. Primary prevention is something that I am extremely interested in and passionate about. Secondary prevention is tasked with uh, early recognition of disease and when disease is present, treating it early to minimize any long lasting damage from it. So an example of that would be breast cancer screening programs that we have. And if cancer is detected, ensuring early management to treat disease and minimize any long-term impact. Tertiary prevention is focused on improving the quality of life for those who have established disease. So for example, rehabilitation or minimizing symptom effect on a person's life. So example would be a patient with type 2 diabetes, making sure they get their feet checked and their eyes checked to prevent those complications, optimizing their blood sugar control, Um, and making sure that any signs of early damage to the kidneys, the nerves and the eyes are picked up to prevent any more serious consequences. A point I want to make here is this, and it's because I've seen a lot of criticism along the lines of, oh, doctors don't know how to address lifestyle, doctors don't understand nutrition, doctors aren't prescribing exercise. And I am going to do a separate blog post on it and maybe a podcast too. So at the moment, what I'm going to say is this. Modern medicine is amazing. If you come to your doctor or hospital with an acute, potentially life-threatening condition, such as pneumonia, a stroke, a heart attack, there's many examples, modern medicine will endeavor to save your life and more often than not succeed. That model of care isn't broken, however much you might see your own healthcare system criticized, and I mean this to be true for developed countries, however much you might see it criticized on Instagram or on Twitter or by your favorite blogger or in the newspapers. The majority of doctors and other uh, healthcare staff, nurses, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, speech and language therapists, dietitians, every other MDT member, these people just want to help those in need to survive and thrive and get back to their best self. The advances in modern medicine are what has led to the major increases in life expectancy that we have seen over the past century putting stents into blocked heart vessels, removing clots in the brain, causing strokes, giving intravenous antibiotics for serious infections, and even the simplicity of being able to access clean, safe water that many people in developing countries don't have. These things are based on sound science and research and a lot of hard work, and they save lives every single day, allowing us to hopefully live into our 70s, 80s, and beyond in developed countries. That side of medicine, it's not broken, and I really don't like seeing posts or podcast talking about it like that. What I will also say is this, much of the disease burden we see in primary and hospital care reflects non-communicable diseases, coronary heart disease, cancers, dementia, type 2 diabetes, obesity. These are estimated by the WHO in 2016 to cause 71% of deaths globally per year. 
with cardiovascular disease accounting for most, followed by cancers and respiratory diseases, for example, obstructive lung disease due to smoking and diabetes. What are the major drivers of these conditions? For a large part, it is lifestyle factors. Smoking, physical inactivity, alcohol misuse, consuming an unhealthy diet, modifiable, preventable lifestyle factors. Preventable not through insanely expensive, radical or inaccessible interventions, but through simple, sustainable behaviour changes, which are tough and require commitment from all of us to see large-scale benefits. But the majority of us do have the power, and being honest, the personal responsibility to make these changes and prevent or at least reduce further increases in this rising disease burden. It's a pretty powerful impact we can have, and this is why I love public health and prevention and why I'm so passionate about spreading these messages, because they're relevant to us all and need to reach as many of us as possible. I'm going to finish with a quote that I read you guys in the introduction to my podcast, and it is this, life is not merely being alive, but being well. And trust me, I could go on, but I'm going to leave you with those three things that I've learned during my first semester of my master's. And I really hope this article has helped you understand what public health is, the role it can and does play in shaping the health of our nations and how it relates to your life and the hard work that does go on by public health. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So leave me a comment here, drop me an email, drop me a DM on Instagram, tweet me, you know where to find me at this stage. As I said, I'm starting a whole new series of modules in semester two and my deep dive into my thesis on shift work. So I'm really, really looking forward to it and looking forward to sharing some learning on all these areas that are fascinating. Have an awesome week, guys, and I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye.